In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have a very special guest. Ernie DiGregorio. Ernie, how you doing? I'm doing great. And thank you for having me on the show today. Oh, thank you for being on the show. It's it's such an honor. I love your energy. I love your passion. And I can't wait to hear all about you and, and your journey and in the basketball world and just in life in general and all the awesome things that you're up to now. You know, it's so exciting. Yeah, it's an interesting life. You know, I remember Someone told me a long time ago, you know, every day is a gift. So I try to make the best of every day and stay positive and take care of the people I love and uh, thank God for giving me this opportunity. Thank you, Ernie. Thank you. And I know, my God, I don't even know where to, where to start in your story. I guess, I guess we'll start with basketball first. How did that become your passion? Well, when I was about 10 years old, I started playing baseball and it was fun. I had never touched the basketball, but I needed nine players on each team to have a game. So I couldn't really practice. So one day I picked up a basketball and I said, boy, this is cool. I can go all by myself and just shoot baskets. I don't need anyone else and I can practice and be good someday. And the weird thing is, Pam, like at age 12, I knew what I wanted to be in life. I wanted to be a professional basketball player. So I dedicated you know, every single day to practice, practice, practice. And uh, I believed in myself. And guess what? I became a professional basketball player. That's incredible. So you're just like at 12. I'm just, I'm going to be a basketball player. Yep. I wanted to be a professional basketball player because back then, right here in Providence, they had a very good college team, Providence College. And it used to be on television and everybody used to watch it and talk about it and stuff. And I said, boy, if I could ever be like those guys, that would be special. And that's what I wanted to do. And I had that determination and drive that even if people said I was crazy, I, I could never be a pro. Like my mother thought, said, go to work with your father. Or my guidance counselor at school said, do you know how many, only a select few ever make it? I didn't listen. I, I knew I could make it if I just practiced those eight or 10 hours a day. So it started when you were 12. So basically around middle school, around middle school. Yeah. And then, did you join any teams at that time? How, how'd you sort of start playing? Yeah, that's the weird thing. You know, most people, when they become successful, they either are coached or they play on different teams. I played all by myself, just dribbling the ball, bouncing it everywhere I went, getting up at six o'clock in the morning, shoveling the snow when it snowed in the winter, when it was 90 degrees and everybody went to the beach. I practiced by myself because I knew that that's what it took. Practice, practice, practice. The best thing about it, Pam, it was fun. So never once did I ever play basketball where I said, oh, I got to do that again. 
it was always fun. So I had more fun being by just me, my basketball and a hoop than I probably ever had in my life. That's the one thing about passion, right? It doesn't feel like work. You know, when you're doing it, it's just like you, you love it and you're just ingrained in it. Nothing else matters, you know? So when you were up shoveling that snow or in that 90 degree heat, you're, you're out there loving it and focusing on your dream. I just can't believe you, you found out what you wanted to do so, so early. So what was the, what was the basketball journey? So after you decided and you kept practicing, what was the first team that you joined? My elementary school, you know, first to the eighth grade. And I played on a team. In fact, I have pictures of it, of my team. It was called the Lakers. And I picked, my brother was in the fourth grade. I picked all the fourth graders on my team and we beat everybody else. And then from there, it was on the high school when I was a freshman in high school. And it was a kind of tough in high school because the high school coach wasn't a basketball guy. He was a baseball guy. So he didn't know much about basketball. So I wasn't going far, but by the grace of God, my senior year, they he retired and they hired a guy who really knew how to play basketball, had played at Providence College, a little guy who fought for everything he did in life. He was an underdog, you know, a little guy, five, six, playing against people, six foot six. So he taught me that really grit and determination and how to do wind sprints and how to do push-ups and how to be in great shape. And that was a gift because then I really got better. Now I knew that extra stuff, what it took, and then I worked even harder. Oh, man. So it sounds like that was sort of your mentor in the basketball game was, yeah. was your coach. Yeah. That's yeah, he was my high school coach. He's the one who really showed me that you have to get physically stronger and quicker to play at that college level and at the pro level. You know, I was good in high school. I averaged 37 points a game and all that stuff, but still I had to get quicker and stronger and uh, it was fun. That's amazing. I don't know if I ever told you, Ernie, maybe I may have mentioned it on my last call, but my dad was a professional basketball player for Albania. You uh, said that. That's, that's yeah. ironic. That's probably <laughs> the uh, synergy that got us together because I love basketball players. Oh my God. You would love my dad. He, he's a, he's a riot. Yeah. <laughs> he's like six foot six. It's just like, and when you said 37 points a game, that's what he used to do like back in Albania. And uh, when I played, <laughs> so when I played basketball in high school, I was, um, I was the JV captain. He'd watch me playing and he's like, he's like, why are you only scoring like two points? He's like, I used to do like 37. <laughs> The good thing is I, I have four daughters and I never pushed them to play basketball. But the funny thing was everywhere I went, because, you know, I was always in the newspaper or on TV and stuff. Yeah. People, the first questions people would ask me, they would ask me how I'm doing. They would say, does your daughter play basketball like you? And my poor kids, they had to take that. And that sort of like, I think, really pushed them away. So sometimes people don't know kids are very sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that you know, so you do get you right. You get a lot of pressure, you know, yeah. from your parents, too. But, but I, I love the pressure. I know. You know great, great players, uh, you know, successful people love pressure because, like you said, it's not pressure. It's uh, drive. It's determination. It's um, passion is the word. Once you have a passion for something, you don't feel pressure. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, and I always think of the, the quote that I was always been stuck in my head, you know, diamonds are built under pressure. 
you know, they need pressure to become diamonds, you know, so I That's find a good that one. super. Oh, that'll be my quote for the week now. I got a new one. Yeah, yeah. I, when I read that, you know, a few years ago, I was like, wow. So it's like, you know, the next time that you're feeling pressure, understand you're being built onto a diamond. And I, that's rings so true. Like you were just saying, you're like, you know, you just kept, you kept going and you kept pushing. Uh, it, it's an awesome quote. It's an awesome quote. So how, how was the transition from high school to college playing? Yeah, it, it was tough because believe it or not, until I was a senior in high school, I didn't realize you needed two years of algebra and two years of a foreign language to go to a college. So I had to go to prep school to get that second year of algebra and, and Spanish I took. That was probably one of the best years that ever helped me get where I got to get because I got a year stronger and I got a year of practice before I went to college. So I wasn't coming right from high school to college. I went to prep school for a year and uh, I went to a prep school not far from Rhode Island, but it was in the middle of the woods and it was my first time away from home. So it wasn't any fun, but I did real well there and had a zillion scholarships to go to different places all over the country. But I didn't even look because I was determined to play in front of my mother and father so they could watch me play. And uh, I played right at Providence about 15 minutes from my house. That's incredible. So you made it to Providence College, you know, because I remember you saying when you were younger, you kept, yeah. you know, you were thinking about those players. So ironically, you you manifested it some some way, somehow. Yeah, I got a four year scholarship to Providence College. And when we went there. I had a great career where I was a uh, first team All-American, one of the top five players in the country. I was the top senior player in the country. And my team went to the um, NCAA tournament, final four out of 360 teams. Our school only had 2,500 students and UCLA had probably 35,000, University of Indiana, 40,000, the University of Memphis, 35,000, and we had 2,500 and we were in the final four. What? Oh my God, that's amazing. That's, yeah. the, final that's the underdog story. That's amazing. Oh my God. What, what did that feel like? You know, being it in was unbelievable. Birth. Oh my like, God. Like, I mean, that's when the whole world stops and watches college basketball, March Madness. Yep. And to be on that stage, you know, on national TV, that's when you really, you know, have to perform. And uh, someday I'll send you some videos, but we, we were special. We did real good. The irony is our big guy got hurt. The guy who used to get the rebounds hurt his leg, Marvin Bonds. We lost the game, but uh, it was still a heck of an experience and the exposure was amazing. That's unreal. I can only imagine that you, you know, you worked so hard at it and then you get to the final four and that's kind of like, that's, I mean, that's the top of the pinnacle, you know, yep. In, yep. in college sports. Oh my God. I can only imagine the feeling, you know, it was unbelievable. Like that week before the game, it was so publicized that they had a picture on the front page of the newspaper of a cleaning company cleaning my uniform. That's how crazy it was. <laughs> That's amazing. It was crazy. And oh. then when the game was on, they said they had it on in all the supermarkets, you know, on radio, the whole state actually shut down. 
and uh, it was special. I'll tell you what, what a what a uh, what a thrill to relive it. Oh my goodness! So so from there, how did you get to the NBA draft? I mean, yeah, I'm sure it wasn't that, hard. You made it to the final to the final yeah. four. They saw you, and they're like, "We want this guy." <laughs> yeah, I was the third person picked in a draft. So wow. you know. There were two guys picked before me and I got picked by this team Buffalo. And then I went to play in Buffalo and I became rookie of the year in the NBA. So this little kid from North Providence, Rhode Island, who no one believed could ever be a pro, you know, beat all those odds and then went on to the NBA and become rookie of the year. And so, uh, you know, once you have that confidence, you know, and you believe in yourself, you know, you're unstoppable. And, and that's how I was, you know, I was, I was someone who believed in myself and I backed it up by practicing so much that I knew I could do those things. So uh, it was a great feeling when you went out and played against the greatest players in basketball and you'd come back to your hotel room, if you were in Chicago or Philadelphia or San Francisco or LA and look in the mirror and say, boy, I just scored 25 points against the best players in the world. It was a great feeling. God. And I'm so intrigued by you and your passion. So what was like your, your mantra the whole time? So obviously you, you felt like the underdog coming up. You're like, Oh, you know, they Well, see, I'll give you an example. When I came out of college, there was two basketball leagues. There was the American basketball association and there was the national basketball association, the national, the NBA was established and all the greatest players played there. But this ABA had some very wealthy owners and they were spending huge dollars on getting the stars out of college to try to build a league. Mm. Well, they offered me more money than they did in the NBA. But I told my lawyer, you know, so many people have doubted me because I'm too small and they said I was too slow and I couldn't play. I had to go play in the NBA and prove it to everyone that I was that good. So, you know, that's the underdog story. But once you, like I said, believe in yourself and you put the work in, anything's possible. Oh, 100%. 100%. Was there like a specific quote or something that you lived by that sort of kept your mentality strong? Because I know sometimes, you know, when people sort of reject you in a way, like saying, oh, you're too small to this, to that you know, like you have this, you have this thing in the back of your mind saying, okay, I got this. And everybody's mantra is like different. What, what was yours? I'd love to hear it. I had uh, a couple of things that kept me, I believe it or not, I would get a uh, big piece of cardboard and I'd write the team we played against. And then I'd write how many points and how many assists I got. So I could look at it all year long. So I know that I could keep up that top level of play. That was one of the things that drove me. But I was always, you know, I, I had to beat the odds my whole life. When I was in high school, they said I played in a class B league and I could never play an A. And then I went to prep school and they said, you know, he was a great prep school player, but he'll never play in a major college. Then I went to college and I was a freshman and freshmen couldn't play in a varsity. And I averaged 29 points a game. And they said, that's good as a freshman, but he'll never play in the varsity. Then I got on the varsity and I started when I was a sophomore. And they said, well, he's pretty good as a sophomore, but he can never be an All-American. Then I was an All-American. They said, well, he's a good, great college player, but he'll never be a pro. And then when I finally became Rookie of the Year, 
this gentleman was walking down the street and he said to me, Ernie D, the only skeptics that remain are the true skeptics. So, you know, it was always a battle, the underdog my whole life. I never listened to anybody. I was thick-headed. I just kept doing what I did. That's amazing. In the back of your mind, you're like, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to get there. It almost, their rejection and doubts almost fueled you in a way. Yeah, no question. It always fueled me. Yep. It was always my, you know, point where I pushed when somebody said I couldn't do this and do that. So I just keep working. That's a, oh my God. You're amazing, Ernie. <laughs> You're yeah, I don't know about that. My no. wife still makes me watch television upstairs. She takes control of the TVs. <laughs> so I'm not that amazing. <laughs> well, no, I find it so cool, you know, that you you just kept it going in your mind. And you just, every single time you broke every barrier that came and it was like little by little, but you were strategic about it. You know, like you would write it down and you would, you would just keep it rolling. I mean, I think, Pam, the most important thing we can tell people out there is you can't doubt yourself because we all go through tough times in life. And if you start doubting yourself, you know, I had a there was this great, great player. His name was Pete Maravich. He was one of the all time greats. And one time he said to me, Ernie D, how you doing? I said, I'm okay, Pete. He says, remember one thing. Once they get your confidence, it's one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Meaning once you start questioning yourself, you're in serious trouble. Wow. I mean, so when you when you went to the NBA, first off, what did that feel like when you actually got trapped? It was great. I mean, it was a dream come true. It was everything I worked for. And the best thing was when I went to my press conference and signed, my mother and father came with me and they sat there. And I got pictures of that and the looks on their faces where they were so proud of their son that that's a great feeling in itself to know that the people you love, you've made them happy because believe it or not, my father used to go around signing autographs because that's how big it was. And it was oh. It's amazing how people, you know, look at you. So I made a lot of people happy along the way that loved me. And uh, to me, that's the most important. That's amazing. So the first, I know you've had, uh, you've played for a few teams. So what yeah. what was it? Well, I mean, your starting team probably would be your favorite because that's your first experience. I don't know. What was your f- favorite team that you played for? I played with Buffalo, which are the LA Clippers for four years. And then I played a half a year with the Lakers, the Los Angeles Lakers, and a half a year with the Celtics, the Boston Celtics. You know, I had great memories on a lot of them. But I love playing in Boston because I played with some real great, great Celtic legends. And one guy named John Havlicek stands out to me. He was a good friend and a great person. And uh, it was just a thrill to be able to pass him the ball, especially his last basket he ever made. So, you know, I, I've had some great, great memories in the NBA. What was your favorite memory in the NBA? I think the m- most special game for me was my rookie year we played in Portland, Oregon. And I had 25 assists. And that still remains an NBA record to this day. Assists for a rookie, 25 assists. So that that was probably one game that will always stand out as being really special. Wow. Wow. 25 assists as a rookie. That's insane. Yeah, that was good. You know, it was fun. Uh, I had some great players I played with. Uh, They became, you know, still great friends, a lot of them. And uh, 
you know, it's, it's nice to know that you had a goal, you worked really hard and it can be accomplished. And I set goals for myself all the time. You know, for instance, this morning, I told you, I walk 14 and a half miles a day. I get up, I do eight miles and then I'll go out and I'll go do another three or four. And then later I'll do another three or four. But uh, if I don't set goals for myself, I get lazy. Yeah, I was going to say, what's your strategy to success, Ernie? Because you, <laughs> you broke every barrier possible in your life. So I'd love to know sort of what, what, was, the, what was the mentality or your strategy, like, like you just said, goal setting. Yeah, my, the one thing I got is this imagination. You know, God gave me this imagination that I imagine things, you know, I imagine I can be a writer. I imagine I can do a movie. I imagine the difference with me is I don't just imagine. I really go after it and believe it. So (laughs) that's what's different. I think, you know, a lot of people have thoughts and ideas what they want to do, but they're scared to, you know, make that commitment. I'm not afraid. And, you know, some, um, a lot of times you fall, you get disappointed, but you got to pick yourself up and you got to keep going. Yeah. And that's the, that's the difference between extremely successful people and just normal, right? Execution. You know how to execute. And that's the biggest thing, you know, and for anybody listening to, you know, who is looking for like a new strategy of goal setting and that kind of thing, you know, what, what would be your, your secret sauce in that, you know, what, what would you share with them? Well, first of all, I'd say you got to start with the premise that it can be done because I'll give you an example. Because I was only six feet tall, and most basketball players are six, seven, six, nine, seven foot, right away people look at me and say, it can't be done. And like I said, even my mother, who loved me more than anyone in the world, said, go to work with your father. She didn't know basketball players could make money, but everyone else said, nah, you know, I, I would do something else, you know, I'd look for another career. If I ever listened to those people, I would have never achieved my goal. So the one premise that I'd start off with, Pam, is if if you have to truly believe in yourself. If you don't and you you question yourself, then you're in trouble. So I would think that's my biggest strength. I am a very confident person when when I do something. And a lot of times I could be wrong, but with basketball, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. You know, it starts with yourself, right? You got to believe in yourself you know, and you got to have that imagination and figure out how to execute, you know, one thing yeah. at a time, you know, for you, it was like, all right, end game was get to play in college. Yeah. Right? But first you had to get through middle school. Then you had to get through high school. You know, it was like one thing, one thing at a time. You know? Yeah. But the weird thing is, and this is where I think it's a gift from God. You know, I knew what I wanted to be when I was 12 years old. Yep. That's different. Right. But a lot of people might not want to be something and they do it. I don't know what other people do. I just think it's and that's and I believe that I never questioned I couldn't do it. Contrary to what people say. It is. A, it is a gift, truly, that you knew at that age what you wanted to be and what you wanted to do. I think when I was 12, I wanted to be a singer and entertainer. Of some, of some sort. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to be a singer too. Is it really? <laughs> no, I can't sing. <laughs> I couldn't I sing I either, but I just somehow he appeared. Yeah. That's funny. 
That's so awesome. So, so, you know, fast, fast forward and, and, you know, you're in the NBA and you're playing for these amazing teams. What were some of your most impactful moments in that experience? I used to love to play in New York. New York is the mecca of college basketball, New York City, Madison Square Garden. That's where they have, you know, the greatest acts in the world. And I used to play on a uh, Saturday afternoon and there'd be 19,500 people in the gym and I'd go out and play. To me, you can't duplicate that feeling when they call your name and you run out on the court and they introduce you and the crowd goes crazy or you do something to bring the crowd to their feet. Those are memories that like etched in my mind forever. That feeling, you can't get that feeling anywhere. Those are the things that stand out to me the crowds, the, the uh, media. Um, I was, uh, my wife used to save scrapbooks, you know, when I played in college and all that stuff in the pros. And we got suitcases in the shed and I was looking at some of them and I found one article where, you know, when a college player plays, you want to get your name mentioned. You want to score a lot of points. You want to get your picture in a paper. This one paper had seven pictures of me in the same paper. I I took it out. I got to get it framed because, you know, that was the first I've ever seen. So those things, those things motivate athletes, the, the publicity, the notoriety, the exposure, the crowd cheering. Those are the things that pump athletes up. And also the money, you you get paid a lot of money to play something you love to do, but you can't replace the chills you get when you you bring the crowd to their feet. That's special. I can only imagine, especially Madison Square Garden, you have almost 20,000 people in in one room. Oh my God. And and then you could, you know, compare that to, imagine like a singer like Michael Buble or Michael Jackson or those guys. I mean, they had that magic and that, or Barbara Streisand or Whitney Houston. I mean, they had that gift. And, you know, I'll tell you a quick story. When I played for the Celtics, my assistant coach was this guy, Casey Jones, who was a great, great player and a great guy. We were playing in New Orleans one night, and he said to me, Ernie D, I have a friend of mine who'd love to meet you. I said, no problem, Casey. Take him by. I'd be happy to meet him. So I'm in a locker room, and he takes this guy in, and he shakes my hand. And he says to me, I want to shake the hand of a true artist. He said it to me. And I said to myself, you know, what the heck's this guy talking about, artist? And then I found out this guy was a world-renowned musician, Les McCann. And he was actually saying what I did with the basketball was, you know, pure artistry, you know, dribbling behind my back. I'll never forget that because that's, those are the things that make you like say, you know, you had something special and it was uh, all worth it. I know. And then that's the thing. When people validate your dreams like that, it's just, yeah. you, you just grow even stronger and you just keep, you just yeah. keep pushing, you know? Yeah. Wow. And so what were some of the most inspiring teammates, like moments with teammates that, that you ever had throughout your experience? Yeah. Oh, well, in college I had, it was really different, you know, in, in the seventies, you know, just like today, racial relations was a, 
tough thing. They were, you know, whites weren't talking to blacks, blacks weren't talking to whites. And I was the little white guy from this little suburban town, North Providence. And my buddy was this guy, six foot nine, African-American Marvin Bonds came from, you know, an all black area. Well, our friends always tried to, you know, split us apart, but we became brothers and very close to each other because he and I both had a passion that we both wanted to be pros. And we used to practice every day and practice pushing each other to get there. And he was just a phenomenal player. He had great timing and could rebound and block shots. But he was my brother because if my guy would dribble by me, he'd have to go by him and he would block the shot. But we'd be, we end up becoming best of friends. He used to come over my house and eat on Sundays with my family. And I used to go over his house and, and eat with his mom and his sister. So that was one of my special teammates in college. He was, you know, my brother. In the pros, pros is a lot different because in professional athletes, they pretty much stay to themselves. They don't have that closeness like it is in college where the game is fun. When you get in the pros, Pam, money becomes a big factor. And everybody's worried about what the other guy makes. And so it becomes very competitive. And it's it was awful hard for me to get really close to too many guys. But I stayed close to a couple of the Celtics. Dave Collins was always a good friend of mine. Kevin Stakem, you know, a good friend of mine. And a couple of my teammates passed away who are really good people. So, uh, but I love to go back to Buffalo. The, the Buffalo people are special and they treat me like a king. So I still go back all the time. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, I always go back. I can go in a restaurant, right? Tomorrow in Buffalo and they'll remember me like it was 1973. Can you believe that? Oh my gosh, no way. Yeah, yeah honestly, it's amazing. I mean, it's, they, they love their athletes. They're hardworking, down-to-earth people, and they really, really care. I'll give you an example. They had on TV the other day, the Buffalo Bills played a football game, and the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills' grandmother passed away. The people in Buffalo raised for the cause of the grandmother $570,000 and gave it to the cause on behalf of the quarterback. That's what kind of people they are in Buffalo. They really care about people. They're athletes. They love their athletes. Wow. Yeah, it's a great story. That's incredible. Oh my God. Yeah. And what was, I would say like throughout your basketball experience. So you you played for four different teams, yeah? Yeah, Providence teams. in college and then Buffalo and Los Angeles and Boston. Boston how did you now because I'm you know of course I live in yeah. Boston I have to ask you how what was it like playing for the Celtics it was great I mean <laughs> the Celtics the Celtics have a tradition you know they've won so many championships the guy Red Auerbach was the uh, matriarch of the whole Celtic yeah. tradition he started the Boston Celtics and one time I said to him hey Red I'm going to do a, uh, a uh, motivational video. Do you mind if we film you for a few words? And he said, sure. So he got on and he said, you know, Ernie D was one of the few athletes who could sell tickets as an individual. And there were very, very few players in the history of the NBA that could do that. To me, that was the greatest compliment 
I could get, I ever got in my whole life in all the games because that came from the matriarch of the greatest dynasty in all of sports, Red Auerbachs. So I had some special people, you know, special memories in Boston and that probably is the greatest. Oh my gosh. Because Boston, I mean, we're crazy over here. Every, you know, with, with athletes, you know, up, downs, you know, whether you're, you're scoring all the points, whether we're winning, whether we're not Celtics fans are one of a kind who, who had the best fans, would it be Buffalo or would it be Boston? <laughs> you know, Boston, Boston had that tradition. you know, Buffalo has great fans, but you know, it took a while for the basketball to catch on in Boston. You know, they have a tradition that, you know, they won 18 world championships. That's unbelievable. Yeah. It's amazing. You know who was my favorite athlete in Boston? It wasn't even a basketball player. It was Bobby Orr, the hockey player. Yes, Bobby, yes. Yeah, because I used to watch him play, and I said, this guy is unbelievable. You ever <laughs> see him play hockey? I've, I've seen some footage of him. He's He was amazing. He was like... He was on a different level. He could handle the puck like it was attached to him. And when I seen that, that's how I wanted to be with a basketball. He was my idol. He was the hockey artist and you were the basketball artist. Yeah, well, I could handle the basketball because I bounced it everywhere I did for eight hours a day. So I didn't have to look down at it. So <laughs> I could do some amazing things with a basketball. He practiced so much with a puck, you know, skating. He, he was so fast and it was like, attached to him like a yo-yo i love it no he he was incredible and i've heard so many things i mean i used to intern at the um at the td garden so i i got like a full you know walk through the hall of fame there and everything and i learned about every every athlete and one of them that was there one of those statues was was bobby Orr, and i, I heard yeah. about him too which was so cool i mean what an experience and you know you got to realize your dreams young which i thought yeah is really yep. really really amazing and yep. you know now, after the NBA, where, where did you sort of transition into? You know, believe it or not, I don't think I even, you know, I did a lot of different things. Like for 18 and a half years, I was the celebrity host at Foxwoods Resort Casino. Nice. You know, I, I signed autographs and, you know, meet the high rollers and stuff like that. But nothing can ever touch the magic of when you're doing something you love to do. Like, you know, right now, I've found a passion in writing my books and that's, that's exciting to me because you can share with people some real stories of some special people and uh, it's exciting. So I'm excited where I, where I am right now. Every day I wake up and, you know, I write. Yes. And I heard your story with Miley. I would love for you to share it if you'd be willing. Yeah, to I'd love to share it with you. <laughs> my favorite. My wife loves this one, too. I okay. You ready? Ready. All right. Miley was a baby kangaroo who was shy and very small. But when she played the game she loved, she felt 10 feet tall. She practiced every night shooting fruit in her mother's pouch while all the other kangaroos played video games on the couch. Miley shouted Eddie the Eagle from high up in the sky, come be on my basketball team. I know we can win if we try. Miley had her doubts. She was too short, her feet too small. Eddie, when I run about, I always seem to fall. Can't you take my mother and I'll watch from the sidelines? Trust me, 
You don't want a kangaroo who falls flat on her behind. Oh, sweet Miley, said her mother, letting out a sigh. You can do anything you want. You only have to try. Just keep believing in your dream. And someday you will see there is no end at all to how happy you can be. Miley pondered for a minute. And then she finally agreed. You've showed me what it is to dream, Mom. It's basketball I need. Soon the big day was upon them. Game day was finally here. Miley looked at the crowd. Her eyes were filled with fear. Maybe this was a mistake, she thought quietly to herself. Until tonight, the only crowd I played for are the animals on my shelf. Then the thoughts in her head were suddenly cut short. Miley heard the band and saw the cheerleaders on the court. Before Miley knew it, the game excitement had begun. Remember, said her mother, just have yourself some fun. Then the crowd hushed down and the announcer called her name. And just as Miley feared, they all laughed when she came into the game. You're too small to play with us, Big Bobby the Bear laughed and said, go back in your mother's pouch and hop back into bed. They're right, I am too small, sighed Miley, feeling sad and alone. I just want to get my mother so we can both go back home. She hopped along quickly and started on her way. Wait up, shouted Eddie the Eagle. Please don't throw your dream away. It may seem impossible and even quite unfair, but being your small size can help you if you dare. Miley looked at Eddie. She was puzzled and unsure. How could being three foot tall help her on the floor? Eddie reassured her, don't give up, just try your best, believe in yourself and your talent will do the rest. Then he tossed Miley on his shoulders and they flew back into the game and Miley played with confidence and the crowd shouted her name. She amazed them with her speed as she outran Rocco Rabbit, tying his ears in knots as she zoomed past him to the basket. She saw Tiny the Elephant charging towards her with such speed, then zigzagged in between his legs, leaving Spans speechless indeed. Everyone went wild as Miley hopped over Jillian the giraffe's head so high. For a minute, she looked as though she could touch the bright night sky. Miley looked at the clock. There wasn't much more time. It was now and never for Miley's star to really shine. She dribbled left, she dribbled right, then straight through Tiny's feet. And just before the buzzer sounded, she shot the ball from 30 feet. Swish went the ball in the basket. As everyone stared in wonder, the fans rushed the floor, their feet sounding loud as thunder. Miley explained her mother, you did it and I'm so proud. Then before she could say another word, Miley was swept up by the crowd. Finally, the night was ending and Miley thanked everyone who loved her. Then perhaps most importantly, she had to thank her mother. Because of you, I believe in myself and I'm not afraid to dream. Now I have all I want and need, my mother and my team. And as the two bounced off together, Miley's star shined so bright. Miley hopped back in her mother's pouch, said, I love you, mom. Good night. <laughs> I love that. The end. So much. <laughs> You like that one? I love it. I love it. I That's think a cute one for little kids to believe in themselves, right? Oh my God. A hundred thousand percent. I love it so much. It's, oh, it's Miley's the underdog. Yeah, <laughs> so you know. <laughs> oh my 
my gosh, that's awesome. That's so awesome. So, and you're, so basically you've gotten into writing Now you mentioned yeah. this, this one's for, this book was for your grandkids and you know, I'm sure yeah. any kids out there are going to be so inspired by it. I'm inspired by it. Uh, that's nice to hear. Thank you. <laughs> of course. What, so aside from, from Miley, what other books are you working on or sort of different pieces that you're working on? Yeah, I have one book already written, published, and it's called A Star with a Broken Heart. That's the one about my college coach, Dave Gavitt, my teammate, Marvin Bonds, who had a drug addiction, and myself. We get together at a young, young age, and then we go through all these battles on and off the court. And it's not a basketball book. It's a human storybook about, you know, people and passion and drug addiction and everything. And then I have my third book. I think you're going to like my third book. It's all written and it's all copywritten. And this one's called Alfonso Saves the Planet. And it's about this Sumatra tiger who gets together with his animal friends to try to explain to the humans, you cannot keep building shopping plazas and houses and destroying our habitat. We have to work together in harmony together. And it's, it's a great story because every single animal that gets involved, and there's about 15 of them, and play in this basketball game to try to show the humans, you know, what is possible when you work together. There's a underdog story involved when they go get every single one, whether it be the badger who's overweight that has to get in shape, or Pom Pom, the giant panda bear who has emphysema because of the smog in China, or all these different instances that have these real important issues about climate and climate control. So yeah, I think you're going to really like that one. Oh my gosh. I love them all. I love your imagination and how broad that they are. You know, one, yeah. you know, the book that you've already published, that yeah. one's more of like a, you know, nonfiction, it's, it's reality. And then, you right. know, the children's book that you're working on now, and then you have this book as well. So I, I just love your spectrum and how broad. broad Thank you. Well, you know, when you have seven grandchildren, right, you <laughs> learn a lot about kids. And I've always loved kids, you know, because believe it or not, I'll be seven years old and I'm still a kid at heart. You know, I think if you can, my daughter bought me, I have four daughters. She bought me uh, a mug from Disney and it said, uh, you know, always remain a kid. And it's nice because you know, life goes by so fast. And if you can be around the people you love and, and do what you love to do and like you're doing, helping people, you know, charter a, an easier way in life, you know, you feel good about yourself. You, you, you're giving back and you're helping people. That's why I admire what you're doing. And uh, it's a real thrill to be on your show today. Thank you so much. It's an honor to have you, Ernie, seriously, in, in every respect. And I mean, my last question for you is, you know, what would be your biggest piece of advice for, for someone who's, you know, maybe an, wants to become an athlete or just anyone who's trying to push for their dream in life? You know, what, what would your best piece of advice be? I think the best piece of advice is everybody goes through adversity. And just because you don't make the team one year, and the coach doesn't believe in you, don't give up on your dream because anybody who achieves anything successful, whether it be sports or in business, has to go through tough times and failures. You just can't quit when the tough time comes. That's when you have to get stronger and more determined. And 
as long as you keep that cushion where you're not a type of person where you're hurt and you get devastated, you got to keep it all in perspective. Failing is part of the process to be successful. And I think that's the most important message I can tell young kids when they play sports. Amen to that. And Ernie, I, I admire what you're doing tremendously too. I think, you know, Thank you're you. making a huge impact on the world. And I think you mentioned, you know, I was just going to ask you what's next for you, but it sounds like your books, you're working on more books and it sounds like you're going to the big screen soon. Fingers yeah, up. for sure. We're going to have like a, a, you know, what's amazing about my story is I gave it to a gentleman at the college at Providence college. He read it. We met a week later and for breakfast. And the first words he said to me, this is a movie. This is a seven part series. And it starts out like, you know, different parts where it starts. But so it's not me, you know, that just believes it because, you know, I'm a believer. I, I, I believe the impossible. It's a lot of people who are very smart people and who understand the people in this are really unique people. And the story is as timely as it can be with race relations being where it is. And also with drug addiction, that story is like today, tomorrow, and last week. So I'm excited about it. And uh, I will send you a book in a couple of weeks, I promise. Oh, my God. I would love that. I would love that. And now you've got to let everybody know how they can find you and your awesomeness. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I, I, I will. And uh, I'm working with the college now on, uh, you know, getting a bunch of these books out to a lot of the alumni and a lot of season ticket holders, but it'll go on the market, you know, before Christmas. So it's pretty exciting. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And where can anybody find you to contact you? ErnieD.com. Yeah. E-N-I-E.com. That's uh, the easiest way. Ernie, thank you so, so much for being here today. You are so awesome in every respect and I admire and respect you tremendously. And, you know, it's just your stories out of this world. And I know it's going to inspire many, many people who listen to it. So yeah, thank up. you. I appreciate it. And, and I appreciate, you, you know, your kindness and uh, your big heart. And uh, like we both know, you know, if you got a heart and you care, it'll show. And it was a pleasure, Pam. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift. And join us on the next episode. <laughs>